Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Here we go. We're live. This is Pitch Tech Asia, powered by Asia Tech Podcast. My name is Graham Brown. Yeah, joining me in the studio, the happy face of Bob Chua. Bob, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here all the way from KL. Yeah. You feeling all right? I am so far. Yeah, yeah. up for it. Good for you. Absolutely. We're going to talk about Blink. So your startup, your journey, you've um, been making a bit of noise recently. So a bit, yeah. Yeah, good to see. Thank you. And um, disrupting, Thank as you. is the word of the so. hour, right? So, so. We, we got your pitch deck. We're going to go through that. All right. Um, talk a little bit about you, mm-hmm. your journey, your background, the why. Okay. Okay. Sure. Um, maybe we can start at the top. Blink itself. How would you right. describe yourself so that people can understand? Sure. I think that the name itself says quite a bit. I mean, the um, the name is sort of a, a play on words. Um, so a bit of a bling because we're in sort of a luxury fashion uh, line and blink because we're in augmented reality. So, um, you know, when I explain a bit about what we do, it'll, it'll probably make a, bit, a lot more sense. Um, so what we do is, is effectively we're a luxury fashion platform. Um, we leverage uh, AR, augmented reality, mm. to effectively augment costumes and accessories and, and, and outfits onto a user uh, via mobile devices. And the user can effectively then buy, rent, subscribe uh, that outfit. Uh, it's all luxury stuff. Um, and we fulfill that throughout Southeast Asia. So that's sort of our, our playing space. Excellent. I know you did a demo to one of our teams, to Sean out there, did, so yeah. he was suitably impressed. He used your credit card, by the way. <laughs> as long as he was renting it, not buying it. So, okay. Um, we love those sort of tech demos that you can do on the spot. So sure. um, we're going to have a look at the pitch deck. You've got some great sort of visuals and examples huh. in there. Um, maybe I can start by defining the market. I'm not yeah. going to do your pitch deck in necessarily the order sure. that you put it out, no, but we can fine. sort of jump around and get the key points and the yep. key data. So if we can just have a quick look at the, the, the data All right. and if I can sort of like zoom to the end of the pitch deck here, um, I'm just going to flick through a whole bunch of slides and, and bearing in mind, not everybody can see this. Some people are All actually right. listening. So we might have to be yep. a bit descriptive, but you've got this great slide. As I say to any startup that comes here, sell the money, put the billions up front. Absolutely. So to help us understand what market we're in and put some numbers on it. Yeah, look, it's funny because, you know, I think uh, this, this pitch deck is, is almost um, outdated now. And, and this was just prepared last month. And, um, you know, the, the, the numbers and the metrics in, in this part of the world is just going mm-hmm. through the roof, right? Um, I think to summarize, um, you know, the, the sort of addressable market that we're in, um, you know, personal luxury in, in this part of the world, and, and I'm talking about um, Asia, is around the $300 billion mark. This is last year, based yeah. on McKinsey's report. Um, next year, 2020, is going to be about $500 billion. Um, in this part of the world, is about 44% of that, hmm. right? So very, very, very large mar- marketplace. And the growth numbers are, are also staggering. So, you know, I always look at this, this region and, and I sort of sum it up as having the trifecta effect, which is very young population, hmm. Big number of consumers. We're talking about say six hundred million people in ASEAN alone. I'm not even talking about say Australia, India, and, and the rest of uh, uh, Asia. Um, and an increasingly wealthy um, audience, right? Mm. And and I think the, the next thing I can go on for other trifectas, which is um, very digitally savvy, um, very sticky on the internet, high uh, e-commerce uh, uh, activity, 
um, but a huge passion for luxury consumption. Mm. Uh, and that's just Asia, you know? Mm. So, I mean, we're sitting here in Singapore, probably one of the epicenters of, of luxury. Hong Kong's another one. Um, but you're getting these other pockets of, of um, segments of population that are growing in numbers, you know, places like Indonesia, Thailand, Philippines, Absolutely. et cetera. So, yeah. you know, but the numbers speak for itself and I think we're really in the right place at the right time. Yeah, you talk about that sort of rising tide of consumers. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously China is its own thing. Without I'm not China, even talking about China. Right, exactly. Because yeah, people think, oh, well, you know, if you put China, it skews all the yeah, data. Sure. That's 95% of it. Absolutely. Maybe. But on its own, Southeast Asia, you've got this rising tide of middle class. I mean, obviously yeah. we're aware of crazy rich Asians. You've yes. seen that's all there, but there's this, you know, not just a middle class and two thirds of the world's middle class will be living in Asia by 2030 Correct. as well. That's, you know, for those outside of Asia that are watching, yeah. that's the mind blowing data Absolutely. out there. But you also have, and you've got it in your, your pitch deck as well, a, a very young population. I think, yeah. for example, if you take Indonesia, 50% of Indonesians are under the age of 35. Absolutely you know, which is incomprehensible if you sort of put it by comparison to the US or sure. Europe, which is very much aging populations, aren't they? Yes. And then digital savvy that you talk, so yeah. that's your, your triage that you talk about, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Okay, we'll have a look more in the, uh, the pitch deck as well. And if we can just jump back in as well, without sort of preempting what we're gonna talk about too much, mm -hmm. you have um, the unicorns as well, just to yeah. sort of put some context in here, because obviously, Every time we talk about Asia from the outside looking in, it's mm -hmm. always China, 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 yeah, sure. Alibaba, Tencent, etc. Yeah. The reason why I want to talk about this now is talk about Southeast Asia mm -hmm. in its own context yeah. and the unicorns. Maybe you can educate us and understand what's going on in Southeast Asia right now with unicorns. Well, look, I think uh, you know, even unicorns in this part of the world is sort of outdated now. We're talking about decacons and, and other things, right? So, um, you know, some of these guys are, are friends of mine. They've done extremely well. Um, you know, China is a whole different animal and a beast by itself. But I think um, a lot of the external, say, uh, investment community, VCs and, and, and whatnot, you know, everyone, as you said, has been focused purely on China, purely on India um, and the US, obviously, in, in the Valley. But, you know, look at this graph here. You've got about, you know, 10 unicorns come up from Norway in the past yeah. five years that we, we never even had uh, five years ago. Absolutely. Can you, can you explain this graph? Because those maybe be listening, yeah, won't be able to so see it. So you've look, got Grab at the you, top. You've got Grab with Anthony. You know, he did extremely well. He's, he's on probably series. I, I, I lose count when I when I look at the, the sort of rounds they go for. I mean, in the billions of dollars and they're on GE or H or F or whatever now. Right. And there's just so much money being poured into to companies like that. Um, Gojack, you've got um, C, who, who raised, I think, another 1.5 yesterday. Um, you've got Lazada, who, who was acquired by Alibaba. You've got um, Bukalapak in, in Indonesia and, and a whole host of others. Traveloka and, and so on. Traveloka, yeah. et cetera. You know, I think if we look at this graph next year, there'll probably be about another 10 on here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think the, the market is just so hot right now and so hungry for, for, for growth that, you know, I think if we get the the ingredients right, mm. the ent entrepreneurs who see that sort of um, opportunity, uh, we're going to see a continuance of more and more uh, of these sorts of companies coming up. All right. Well, it checks the box. Yes, there's market potential sure there. There's money. There's yeah, growth. Absolutely. There's consumers with money. That's right. Let's talk about what the problem is first. So mm -hmm. if I can jump back in, on right at the top of the pitch deck, I think it's slide eight. I'm going to sort of, yeah. So you, you've defined what the problem is. Mm -hmm. Um, Am I there yet? Okay, so yes, retail. You talked about luxury market, you're yeah. 300 to 500 billion market. Yeah. What is the problem with this market? I'm not 
somebody from the inside i understand what fashion sure. is you know the success of brands like asos and so on but right. what, what is the inherent problem with this market i think i think the problem and and hence the the um the opposite of that which is the opportunity um you know i'll probably talk about both of that uh, both of those factors um the 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 mega trends in in the retail market as we see it in more developed markets like the us and, and europe is that one real estate is getting extremely expensive Mm. That's just um, you know effectively stores being uh, you know renting from from big malls etc. And, and that's getting very very expensive. Um, the format of stores is not conducive to how people shop nowadays. You know everyone's buying online. Everyone gets everything from say an Amazon or Alibaba or what have you. Um, and and also the tyranny of now. Everyone expects something today uh, right. in an hour. You know if you look at Prime and all these other services. So. Um, you know, you've got other factors like weather patterns. You've got you know winter that hits um, um, certain markets that you know people then can't go out shopping and, and these sorts of things. So, I think when you look at that sort of uh, those sort of factors, um, it, it does affect retail in a big way. Mm. I think what we're doing in terms of using augmented reality to um, enable consumers to try on outfits, um, having the marketplace where you can not just um, acquire an outfit outright, but you can also rent it, subscribe to it, curate it, and then fulfilling that to the consumer very quickly. The real problem that we're addressing is the returns. Now, if you if you look at an e-commerce setup um, in, say, uh, a peak of Singles Day, in mm. Singles Day, you know, all of the e-commerce guys do billions. 25 billion, yeah. In, in sales per yeah. day, right? Yeah. Now, on, in a peak like that, the returns for the purchases are about 60%. Yeah. That means six out of 10 products actually go back to a warehouse somewhere. And this gets piled into a mountain of stuff. I mean, I've seen this with my own eyes and mm. it's like going to Egypt and seeing the friggin' um, the pyramid. pyramids. Yeah, but it's just pyramids of, 60%. of crap that never gets yeah. re, uh, unpacked, uh, re-cleaned, re-dry cleaned, repacked into the store and back into the system. Right. It just doesn't. So it's a, a huge cost to brands, mm. a huge cost to retailers. Um, and, and a huge cost to logistics companies. Now, I think um, millennials are, 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 are also partly to blame um, with this trend because they're ordering two or three different outfits yeah. and using it for Instagram photos. Um, they, they're not sure about their size or whether it'll fit them, so they're taking three or four um, outfits of the same thing mm. um, and returning it because it's free wow. returns. Wow. So, you know, I think that causes a huge problem. So that yeah. is really the problem we're trying to to solve. But, um, but re I'll chime in here is that retailers like ASOS, for example, actively encourage that, don't they? That, you know, why don't you just try it all and send it back? And well, they have the, the, you know, it seems like they're okay with that. Well, ASOS isn't necessarily the, the, the owner of their product, mm. right? So this thing goes back to, you know, um, ASOS is a marketplace, but a product is owned by a Chanel or a Gucci or what yeah. have you. Those guys are the ones that face a problem and it's a huge cost to them. Right. Um, now, the other problem is that an ASOS or a Farfetch or what have you, they're in the US or Europe. And some people, while they're aware of them in this part of the world, they yeah. may order from those guys. But have you tried returning something to them? Exactly. It's, it's impossible. Yeah. And, and secondly, the cost of shipping is impossible. Mm. The time of shipment is impossible. So th those are the areas, you know, when you look at the flip side of what Blink is trying to, to fix. Okay, got it. I mean, I can relate. For somebody like me who is um, size... I don't know, 46 shoe, European size. Show not off. easy to get, not a show off. <laughs> it's, it's a pain point. No, if somebody else can do a website with like large shoes, <laughs> here I am, right? So I have to order, so I, I can't order stuff here in Singapore. Yeah. And if I order stuff from AliExpress, for example, because yeah. there's a lot of range on there, they send it to me 
and we were talking about this today, is that they're saying, I'll receive it, spent all that money getting it, wrong size, or yeah, what they claim sure. as a 13 yeah. is actually a, a 9 or a 10. That's right. I, I, for me, I can't send it back. So that's right. That's a real pain point as a consumer, and that's not just AliExpress, that's also ASOS. I can order sure. ASOS from the UK yep. to Singapore, but I can't return it. So absolutely, so, you know, I think talking about size and you know, you know what to say about guys with big feet, right? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, big shoes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, the, the whole point about sizing is is a big factor that that we we had to take into consideration as well because when we started around around the AR um, uh, technology of of taking a, a photo and you know augmenting all these outfits on onto people, we, did, we we actually thought it was quite gimmicky. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be totally honest. Um, but we we then found that a lot of our, our users on our trial uh, panels actually said, "Look, we love it. Mm. One, it, it I think will increase our purchase propensity. It'll decrease our returns. But we want sizing, okay? Just just to to your point, because if I can predict that I'm a size M, um, I'm talking about say a, a, a dress or a shirt or a blouse or what mm. have you. Um, the, the the other problem is that all the brands have different sizing. So yeah, an absolutely. M on Chanel might be a S on on Gucci, for example, yeah. and not having that ability to 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 see what size you actually wear um, is also not going to uh, factor the decrease in returns. So we mm. actually had to build algorithms around proper sizing, and I think I showed it to you guys earlier yeah, on. Yeah. Um, it's probably in, in in the deck whereby we actually get accurate measurements of you, and we can actually then tell you you're actually an M or you're a size 14 or a size 10 for this specific brand, this right, specific right. dress. And you know our, our female consumers loved it because they said. I've spent way too much time or I've not purchased online because of this problem. Yeah. So the fact that you guys have, have um, you know, factored in that, that um, uh, feature, it's fantastic. I'm, I'm, I definitely feel much safer about purchasing yeah, absolutely. online. It's building trust, isn't it? Absolutely. You're, you're taking a lot of the friction out so of the So that's the gap. That's yeah. the gap that we're filling. Can, can we, just before we look at the solution, can we understand a little bit about the returns as well? So sure. you've talked about sizing. I mean, if you were to sort of mention, you know, break it down what would be the main criteria what causes returns you've talked about sizing you've talked about millennials and maybe that's just what they do yeah look what, what else is there i think really um you know returns is you're, you're going to get something that either doesn't fit you from a size perspective or yeah. you know it just looks it doesn't look right yes. once you actually get it right so so that's one the main reason that you return it so mm. you know if you thought that Okay, it looks nice on a catalog. It looks nice on a website, but when you actually receive it, it looks like crap on me. Yeah, especially know, so. the materials that look different. Yeah, and, and the materials look different. The yeah. video, uh, you know, the, the feel of it looks different. Yeah. So, you know, I think those are the main factors. And you know, I think a lot of people say, "Look, but your stuff's one thing that you you guys don't um, fulfill is the fact that we can't touch it anymore." Yeah. You know, we we then thought about that, and and we looked at our um, the customer journey in terms of where they were going before they actually meet the point of purchase, which is actually checking out and paying for the product. So so we had a lot of trials, and about seventy percent of them were actually going through the, the entire process of searching, comparing, uh, looking at sizing, getting themselves uh, augmented. Um, but when it came to the point of purchase, they'd drop off for a day. Mm. So they didn't. They didn't. You mean actually, offline? Yeah. So they, they'd stop. You know, at a certain point, like about ninety-five percent, and they'd they'd disappear for about a, a day, and they'd come back and complete a purchase. Right. So it's the showroom, isn't it? They've gone to Absolutely. the showroom to effectively check it out, try it on, and yeah. you know that showroom probably didn't carry the, the right model or color yeah. or, or skew that we're talking about. So they came back and purchased it online, which is amazing. So yeah. they did actually get the feel. Yeah. So so it's interesting, you know, consumer behavior now. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, 
Well, let's have a look at the solution itself. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously, a key part of this is AR as well. Yes. So we're going to go a little bit deeper in the tech side of things. Sure. If we can jump back into the pitch deck, um, digging into the pitch deck, the actual, uh, if we can look at, this is slide 10, the Blink ecosystem. So explain right. what it is. I mean, this is sort of the breakdown of yep. the different layers of what Blink is. Right? Absolutely. Help I, us understand I, I this. I think this is probably the, the most important slide of the entire deck, to be honest. I mean, wh when I explain what Blink is to people, it's, it's quite a big um, um, full stack, if you will. And, and the front part is really the AR. The technology is all around AR. Right. Um, you know, the, the virtual changing room is probably the easiest that we can understand, right? Because it's effectively... Um, me taking a photo of, of a friend because usually you need two people to do this yeah. which, is, which is great so for every sign on I get two people yeah um, it's more social as well it's right? more social yeah. yeah and um, and then you know they get the measurements you get to AR the outfits onto onto yourself all, all via mobile um, and there's a lot of stuff that we're experimenting with there's a lot of R&D around the, the AR component um, you know, some some store owners, some mall owners, some developers are, are saying, "What can you do in store?" Um, right, and, and I'll come back to that later. But that's a technology piece. So the, the whole augmented reality is one to us a differentiator, and I think for our, our users, they like it because it actually addresses those issues of decreasing returns, increasing mm. purchase propensity. Uh, you can visualize how, how it looks on me, etc. Now, the platform, the part in the middle, is is really quite interesting because you know I think e-commerce is all about looking at something online, having a ready-to-wear, and purchasing it. But if you're looking at the trends of how people consume fashion nowadays, it's not all about that. You know, Not think, all about purchase. Not all about yeah. purely purchase. Yeah. I mean, if you look at some of the, the bigger players in, in the US, for example, like Rent the Runaway, yeah. or, I mean, very these guys, successful, yeah. very successful. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're doing about $100 million a year now, yeah. purely in rental. And you know, if you look at their operations, they're the biggest laundromat in the world because you know they get all this stuff back. And um, you know, the economics of of them doing that is also quite interesting because they get to effectively defray a cost yeah. ten times and make actually more money per Absolutely. sale over over that period of time. So we're, we're providing options to to use this now to not only buy but also to rent, mm. um, also to have a marketplace for pre-owned, which is also a big thing. Um, if you look at say the real real in the US, they're about to go public. Again, another multi-billion-dollar uh, unicorn um, subscription. Uh, if you look at a Stitch Fix model of of giving different options to to people who aren't that creative and, and they want someone to help curate fashion for them, you know. So to us, we we look at the life cycle of fashion and we said, since we're sort of leapfrogging all of these technologies, and you know, why can't we provide all of these options to someone? Yeah. If, if for the same dress, for the same shirt, for the same jacket, I could. Uh, I could provide it as an option in multiple ways through our marketplace. Now, operationally, it's a nightmare for us because all of these components operationally are very different. You know, from selling a product from our fulfillment center to to you, it's mm. very different from mm. getting it sent to you, coming back, rent uh, and and cleaning it and renting it back out to someone else. Operationally, it's very different. But to our consumers, they don't yeah. care about that. But they love the fact that I can actually give them an option from a price point. From a from a range of fashion and and that sort of stuff, so that's a, that's the middle of the marketplace, which is you know also quite unique, but you know something that we do here. Um, and the last part is is really the logistic stuff. Now, if you look at the big the big e-commerce players, at the end of the day, what 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 they are are logistics players. Mm. It's all about fulfillment, getting product to, to someone in as short as possible as a time. Um, and they're CRM players, right? So they know what you want, they know when you want it. Um, they know that customer journey and how to give you that customer experience. What they may be dabbling in the space of 
general e-commerce products, whether it's washing machines to phone covers to USB sticks, or it may be luxury fashion, it doesn't really matter. But at the end of the day, all of us are in the space of e-commerce and CRM. Yeah. So the logistics piece is, is really important and that, that's the real differentiator because the scale of a, of a business now becomes quite different. If I can fulfill product, luxury product to the whole of Southeast Asia overnight, for mm. example, as opposed to getting something from the US or, or Europe in say a week, I think our customers would like that because everyone wants something now. And if they can return it, if it can resort it, et cetera. So, you know, that, that's something that we're, we're thinking is, is, is going to be a differentiator and, and we're building that facility now um, that can fulfill to Southeast Asia. Very capital intensive, um, but we're going on a, a, a very um, sophisticated, um, fully automated warehousing um, concept. So, yeah, we're sitting down with the engineers tomorrow, in fact, to, to build to build this out, conceptualize it, and see what it's going to look like. Exciting times. So let, let me ask you, before we sort of go into the, the tech stack a little yep. bit and look at some of the examples, mm -hmm. what qualifies you to build this? Do you, you know, when, when you start talking about building a marketplace and logistics, yeah. you know, Amazon took many years to get that right. You know, even building yeah. like FBA and all those sort of things now that seem obvious and sure. prime and so on. Mm -hmm. These these are simple on the face of it, but extremely complex Very and expensive tasks, right? So how, how do you, you know, justify the critics who may say you're not of that world necessarily or, you know, you don't, you know, well, in, in fact, have the kind of resources that they have? Yeah, in, in fact, I am from that world because for the past three years, I've, I've been a, a director of a company who actually provided solutions to these players. Mm. Um and, um, you know, I, that actually gave me the impetus to start Blink. You know, I got a sneak peek into how, you know, first of all, the pain points, the gaps, the problems, and I got to see the, the benefits of automation um, in, in the warehousing and, and uh, you know, the e-commerce e uh, um, world. And that actually gave me the idea that, you know, I think um, I can pull this all together and, and, and put it into Blink. Yeah. Um, and the other, the other half of my life was uh, in analytics. So the whole part about CRM, building communities right. in, in Southeast Asia. Okay. You know, I'm merging that 20 years of experience together. So, you know, I, I think I haven't necessarily faced those critics as yet. But, you know, uh, I think um, we've got the, the relevant know-how um, and the relevant technology out there. You know, now we just need to do it. Yeah. Okay, so what's your... I'm fascinated that you come from that analytical side as well. Mm -hmm. What's your sort of... Bob, what's your hypothesis in the sense that you know this is probably what people disagree with you about you know and it's sort of the peter Thiel question is yeah. that what is that truth that the world disagrees with you on about your startup you know because there are many e-commerce players like we've seen sure in southeast asia now mm -hmm. and you know are they approaching it in a way which you know you sort of see something a little bit different there's a lot of fashion players out there as well. Do you yeah. sort of see the problem differently? Is it an analytical problem or a logistics problem? How I, I, would you frame it? I don't it? think we see the problem differently. I, I think we probably see the opportunity differently right. in terms of scale, in terms of, you know, taking the, those, the, there's multiple players, as you said, in, in different parts. There's some people purely in rental, there's, there's people purely in, in pre-love, there's some guys purely on, on the e-commerce side. Um, you know, and, and you're right, we're, we're trying to pull this whole thing together. Mm. Um, there's some guys in logistics. Um, personally, I think you need all of those components to make it, um, you know, to a point where it moves the needle. Yeah. You want to be like the Alibaba, you want to be like a JD, you want to be like an Amazon. There's no other way you can do it. And I've seen that inside mm. out, you know, in, in person. So I think if you don't do that, you're not going to play at the scale of the big boys. 
and mm. we want to have we we have that vision. Um, you know, it's it's I, I guess our dream, and and the, the dreaming is the easy part. Making it happen is a hard part, right? So that's where we are now. Uh, mm. we're, we're laying the infrastructure and the foundation to to get to that level. Um, do we think we can do it? Yes. If not, we wouldn't be doing it. Um, do we think it's a crowded space? I don't think so. I think you know we we especially in luxury fashion, we found that that niche, that gap. We found the region, Southeast Asia, we're in the right place at the right time. We've got the ingredients for it. Yeah. We have the capabilities for it. I think the only thing that's working against us now is time, like any startup, right? You know, we, we need to move as fast as possible. Yeah. Um, but just to get an automated um, logistics facility up and running, for example, a go life may take 16 months and may take, you know, tens of millions of dollars. So it's the ability to fundraise, to yeah. deploy, to execute at scale. Those are the challenges. There's, I don't think they're, they're problems, but they're challenges. Absolutely. Yep. Well, they're challenges. They're worthy challenges. Yes. And hopefully that's why you're here to Absolutely. sort of put it out there as well. So, that's right. okay, let's go a little bit deeper on the tech side if we can. We've looked sure. at the your ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe if we can look at the pitch deck again and you sort of go a bit deeper into the tech side here, yep. the product, actually how it works. Yes. Obviously, if we were to demo this sure. live, it would be great. But talk through, because some people are just listening. Yes. So, all right. So Graham and Bob go shopping together yeah. or we're, you know, we're going to do this together. We'll yeah. talk through a live demo. How does it actually work? So, All right. So effectively, um, look, to whoever can see this, um, you know, we'll take a mobile phone. Um, we uh, beam up the, the Blink app mm. and I take a photo of you, for yeah. example, and that photo will then allow me to get your measurements yep. and you'll have a full catalog right next to you of all the different brands. You pick which brand you want and you pick which outfit you like. And the outfit will go, uh, will overlay over you, and then you say bye. So yeah. it's easy as that, right? From the front end, from the user point of view. Obviously, from the back end, in terms of tech stack, it's a whole different right. ball game. But pretty much, that, that's it. Right. So you're building like 3D models of those items. From no, the, so the, we're, like wireframes. We're, like, we're building 2D models. So, so this is, um, you know, the, the outcome of um, yeah. Sean earlier Maybe on. Maybe show that one up to the camera there. We can see this camera. Yeah, where's right the camera? From, so, so this is one of the guys, Sean, um, who, who works here, and we, yeah. we put a Gucci. Um, initially, we put a Gucci dress over him. Uh, <laughs> was was he pleased? With that? Uh, he said he only cross dresses on Friday, apparently. So um, there you go. Yeah. So you know. So we chose something else, and it, you know, effectively told uh, told us uh, what size he wears, how many right. people have bought this uh, yesterday, and it augments purely over him, right? Yeah. Now it's a two D model because you know we want to have it done on any mobile device today. Yeah. Um, I think if you look at what's happening with Samsung and, and Apple in the next few months, um, you know, all of these cameras, all of these phones have about two cameras on them. Yeah. Um, you, you'll start to see four cameras and eight cameras come out on, on all our mobile devices very soon. Right. Uh, Apple are about to launch um, the, the AR-enabled uh, phones in summer. And that actually gives you depth around right, exactly. a that's, photo. Exactly. That's so, why we have two eyes, right? Correct. depth, yeah. Correct. So, yeah. so the 2D becomes almost 3D. And yeah. that wraparound of, of a product over uh, a user right. becomes quite seamless. Yes. Okay. So the 2D aspect of it can actually become very clean and the outfit that goes over you looks very realistic. Okay. So I imagine on the other side, on the the, the merchandise side, you have to measure all the products Absolutely. Right, and scan yeah, them. That, that's, that's the tough part. Right. And you know, nowadays we're doing and we're building visual search into, into all of our products as well. So, um, you know, you can actually go and, and um, go over a magazine or go over something that you've seen online and that can actually search the product for you. It goes mm. through all the catalogs of, of stuff online and tell you which product that is and it can match it to other products that fit with that 
dress right. or suit or whatever. So those brown shoes, uh -huh. those brown touch shoes will go with your Paul Smith uh, suit, for example. Right, so if I, would I be able to sit here and have a look at your jacket? And Absolutely, that's, that's the whole idea. Like, a, like Shazam did for music, right? It's a Shazam for, 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 for fashion. Interesting. So, so do you feel afraid to ask that person where they got those shoes from? I could... Absolutely. <laughs> Sneakily take one. Is <laughs> exactly. That? So, so visual search is, is a big thing. So that, that's what we've built into the system as well. So it's, it's really exciting stuff. It's a yeah. whole new world out there. Well, uh, you know, I'm always fascinated, Bob, in, in these instances. Building technology is one thing, mm -hmm. but how, you know, and you can, you can obviously see the scenarios and where this will be used and how yep. useful it would be for any kind of consumer, right, who's interested in fashion. Yet, I'm also curious, because I think this is, really where we can see that the hundred X here is how does it change behavior? So how does that change behavior of retailers? How does it change behavior of customers mm -hmm. knowing that I can do these things now because sure. it just doesn't necessarily mean I buy more yep. qualitatively. It might change as well. So sure. have you got any insights there? Look, I think we're starting to see that behavior change already. I mean, if you talk, say, say you, you mentioned retailers earlier on, um, you know, a lot of retailers are engaging with us now because they can probably see or they're anticipating the, the fact that, um, you know, footfall into malls is probably sh dropping. Yeah. Um, and purchasing behavior is changing, right? So, you know, a lo lot of guys and a lot of merchants in, in, in stores are actually saying, I want a smaller um, format store as opposed Absolutely. to 20,000 uh, square feet uh, yeah. thing. And, and you know, we're, we're starting to explore some R&D with some of these mall owners to say, look, you need a smaller footprint uh, merchant. However, you can actually extend our AR uh, function to them, um, whereby your smaller format store becomes almost like a showroom. A user will walk into right. your showroom, yeah. will try a product on, but they'll probably buy it online and get a product sent to their house before they get home. So they don't have to carry the product around. You don't have to keep inventory and stock on store. You don't have to have 10 sizes and colors of that shoe taking up expensive real estate in your store yeah. when I can fulfill it from a central um, fulfillment center somewhere else. So these are the sort of innovations that, that we're coming out with. And I think the retail industry has been probably one of the least innovative in the world. Yeah. Um, but that's all changing now. You know, China's leading the way, Amazon's leading the way with like cashless um, retail outlets and stuff. So we're going to see, we're, we're only at the beginning of this. Mm. Um, if you look at statistics of purely e-commerce purchasing in, in Asia, it's only about 5% right now Yeah. in terms of retail. So 95% is still done offline. So the upside is huge. Right, yeah. we're just at the beginning. I mean, There's US a lot is of headroom. There. A lot of headroom. I mean, yeah, the US is about twenty-three percent. The UK is about nineteen percent. So we've got a long way to go, but yeah. that's going to happen very quickly. I think so, so. For us, it's about building that infrastructure as fast as possible to to, to meet that demand. There's sort of an interesting um, scenario where retailers. You're right, Bob. You talk about retail being the one of the least innovative vertical sectors of mm -hmm. all. And strangely enough, it's one that touches everybody's lives every day. So sure. it should be innovating all the time. Yet a lot of it is to do with economics. And mm -hmm. you talked about footprints in that if I'm a retailer and I have a large inventory and I have, you know, bricks and mortar to rent every month yep. and on, on a three-year lease or wherever it is. And these are expensive. These are quite Absolutely. punitive as well yes. for some, especially if you're, you're a high footfall area and so on. Yep. It means my margins, sorry, my, my overheads are so high that I can't innovate 
I've got to basically do what works and stick with that. Absolutely. And yet we've seen this, like, for example, in the food sector where you've had restaurants who, and this is one of the problems with restaurants, they go out of business because they can't innovate and yep. along come food trucks. Yep. These guys have tiny footprints. Sure. They can experiment with different formats yep. and they have that direct to consumer and so on. And, you know, they're just sucking up the whole sort of consumer market because totally. they're giving what consumers want because they're operating maybe at a fifth or a sixth of the overhead sure. of a, of a high street retailer. Yeah. Right. So, you know, the whole economics does not just mean I have to sell more, but it means I can completely innovate, totally take risks yep. and then give customers what we want, Correct. what they want. Right. And ultimately stay alive long-term and grow. Absolutely. And thrive. Exactly. Okay, yeah. good. Well, we've got that out of the way. Yes. So let's talk about <laughs> you and the numbers as well. All so, right. um, you've actually got some numbers in here and I want to dive in on slide okay. 20. Um, flicking through forward, I want to understand this a little bit. It fascinated me when I. Yeah, so so and you is, might have to be a bit visual in your description sure, as well. This so, is a picture of a dress. Yeah. Okay. So you know, I think what we're trying to to um, point out here is is you know to one of the points that I, I mentioned earlier on. Um, you know, the economics of of renting, for example, is about being able to defray that cost over time. So if I sell this dress, I mean, I've got an example here of of a dress that's worth a hundred dollars. Um, and if I sell it once, it's a hundred dollar sale. I've made my say twenty percent margin on that. Right, and fine, it's a one off. Right now, what about if I rent this dress at twenty dollars for five times? I get the same hundred dollars. But the lifespan of rental, if you look at the, the industry average, is about ten times. So if I actually rent this dress for twenty dollars ten times before it comes to what I call end of life, mm. I've actually made two hundred dollars from this dress. I've now you know, defrayed it to twice the value of what it is. Mm. And at the 10th or the 11th time that, um, you know, I can't rent it out anymore, I sell it off as a flash sale at 30% off that $100. So I've now effectively made 250% or 230% based on the example. Right. So, you know, from a finance point of view, that's pretty good, right? Yeah, it's a bit of witchcraft magic there. It is, but you know, this that is the economics of how yeah. these guys are working. Right. You know, if you look at rental, you look at all these rent the stuff. runway. We talked about them; they're a huge success. In and the US, that's right? exactly the economics that they use. Right. So, um, you know, it's about uh, defraying that, that and sweating that asset as many times as, as possible, and, and especially in an industry where the assets are throw away, throw away literally. That, that's the in, other in many, thing. People buy an expensive dress for. An event, or for a wedding, or you know, and then yeah. it's that's it. It's done. And that's right? it. So you know, that, that's also then the reason that we have a pre-loved market. If you buy that one dress for a thousand bucks and you're not yeah. going to use it again, we, you can actually resell it as a vintage or or, or mm. a pre-loved market. So we can we have all the avenues. This is sort of full stack. This is sort of a super app for fashion where you can actually go through the different life cycles of a product. Yeah. So you know, I think um, you know we, we're sort of catering to to the different life cycles that are from a brand new. And and you know I think from an analytic point of view, um, you know we we know that people will buy outright, um, you know that that little black dress because yeah. they want to use it you know multiple times. But they they may not use an outfit that that like a ball gown multiple times. They they prefer to rent that once Absolutely, from us yeah, rather than, yeah. than than buy it. So I think you also are at the tip of the spear here in Asia where rental, especially for fashion, is a new concept. It right? is. Yep. You know in the US. At the beginning, you know, rental was associated with certain economic groups sure. or, you know, but now it's become a mainstream thing and Rent the Wrong Way has done really well in educating the market. Yeah, but it was tough for them in the beginning. Absolutely. I mean, they had to beg, uh, you know, to all the retailers to, to let them 
um, have their product on, yeah. on the, the rent runaway platform. Now retailers are begging them to extend the platform to their brands. So, yeah. you know, in a way we, we're, we've seen all of the mistakes and, and, you know, I think we've leapfrogged that like, you know, Asia is good at leapfrogging certain technologies and we've leapfrogged all of those, those lessons that we've, we've been monitoring um, and, and bought the best of, best of breed to, mm. to Southeast Asia. Absolutely. I th there's also that, that sort of element with Rent and Runway where, like you said, retailers beg to get onto their platform. They have been very successful in working closely with sort of early adopters. Yes. So, for example, if you were a like a dress designer, mm -hmm. You don't have the clout to go to a large Sears or whoever sure. it is these days and get distributed, you know, all, you know, like, like a, a mainstream brand. Of However, course. they could go to Rent the Runway, yep. get in with these sort of early adopters who want to try stuff, sure. give you feedback, and you sort of create these sort of mini fan bases. That's right. Like, or the community, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So they create that sort of feedback loop within. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't really have that here in Asia. Well, you know, that's that's the gap we we hope to 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 address. And you know, I think you, you brought up an interesting point. I think in luxury, even worse, because you've got the big brands like the Carings, the LVMHs of the world that probably dominate luxury. Now, in this part of the world, there's also a lot of the small small up-and-coming luxury brands that don't see the light of day because they don't have a, the, the budget, they don't have a legacy, they don't have uh, all of those those things that the bigger brands do. But we want to provide them a platform mm. to be able to, to distribute product on a global playing field, uh, on a level playing field with yeah. these guys globally. So, you know, I think um, that that's sort of a, a similar analogy of, of Rent Runaway. Good. Okay. Maybe we can talk then about what happens next and also the journey mm -hmm. how you've sort of come to this point right so before we we get in the slide because you, you'll explain this sure when did you set up blink um so you know to be honest officially um gen one you know it's, right. it's very young um you know we, we, we're putting the team in place i mean we, we've got um a, a skeletal crew right now we're on a massive hiring drive um, we've got about 18 developers um developing technology um, we've got about, I don't know, 10 job racks open out there that we're filling right now. Right. Um, but we've got the, 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 the core crew in place, you know, CFO, CTO, et cetera, head of logistics, buyer. Um, and that will then trickle down into the rest of the folks that we need. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It, well, when I say Gen 1, it, it feels like forever since yeah. then because um, we've, we've been this running. This is March, by the way. Yeah, I know. It's, it's March now. But, you know, we've been running at 110 miles per hour. Um, yeah. And I've got that, um, you know, I've got a big thing on, on, on my wall of 110 kilometers per hour as, as a, the official speed limit and a big cross around it because, yeah. you know, we, we don't really want to, uh, you know, abide by, by, by speed rules because it's too slow. And, and, you know, I think, um, I always think uh, timing is, is critical, but you, you can't move too slow and you can't move too fast with yeah. certain things, you know. So we're pushing the envelope every single day. There's urgency for every single thing, but we, we know that we need to be patient with certain things as well. Yeah. So you launched in January mm -hmm. and you are now, well, over nearly two to three months in. Yeah. Okay, so it's very early days. You've got a, um, a slide here, which is sort of a more of a pictorial journey of yep. where you are. We sort of go to slide. But we've been moving fast, you know. I think we, we've got a big vision. I think the vision and... and putting this whole thing together has taken much longer. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this is sort of culminating, um, you know, I, I think if you go back um, three years, um, you know, I, I sold a, a, a previous venture, you know, I, I took three years probably to culminate with a Blink model. So it's not just right. from January 1. I think, 
you know, I was, I was I waiting. I hope for, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just uh, thought about right. this, you know, as a yeah. concept that I came up with. Um, no, you know, I, I think it took three years for me to look at the mega trends right. of what I wanted to get into next. Because my, my previous venture, I did it for 12 years. We brought it public and, you know, it was a great Public means journey. you uh, listed it? Yeah, we listed it. So in Malaysia? In the UK, actually. Okay, so, in the UK. Yeah, so we, we did an IPO in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, so I've gone through that journey before. I've right. raised, you know, numerous... What was the, so for those that are listening or watching, can you tell a little bit a, about the company? It's a company called Pulse. So yeah. we, we brought that public um, in, in 05. What, what did Pulse uh, do? Uh, we were in analytics, so we okay. were in the, the, the digital space. Um, so, you know, when we exited that in, in 2014, if you will, then I yeah. got into the, the, the automation space. Um, you know, I was, I was sort of looking at the mega trends of, of Asia. I was looking at mobile and I was looking at e-commerce. And, you know, I just wanted the, the stars to align to see what I wanted to do next. And, you know, being an entrepreneur, um, you know, you, you sort of, um, I was thinking that downstairs while waiting for this interview, you know, what, what am I doing here? You know, and, uh, you know, if you ask me this question, you know, it's, it's like walking through hot coal, you know, while crunching broken glass, right? And it's yeah. like that every day. I mean, yeah. you, you guys probably face the same thing, but, you know, you come back and do more and more of it. Yeah, you know, it's, you, it's like a drug. You seek it out, yeah. It's like a drug. It's a challenge. It's a challenge, it's a challenge, it's a challenge right? Bob. Like, we don't like getting comfortable. <laughs> Absolutely. Even like success sometimes Absolutely. can be, you know, yeah, so it, it raises questions, is, right? Is Want to get out there and do it. That's right. It's, it's addictive, right? So, um, you know, it, but it took me some time to culminate with the Blink yeah. model. And, and this is a very calculated model. You know, I think we, we execute um, from from Gen One till now, we we know exactly what we want to do. Right. Uh, we've got this seven stage um, of of product development cycle uh, ahead of us each time. So we we we, we method methodically methodically um, uh, execute uh, seven stages ahead. So yeah. we always have a clear path and a playbook of how we want to uh, move forward. Um, and so far, it's been good. You know, we've we've raised some funds uh, recently, so I'll probably talk about that separately. Yep. But you know, that's given us the fuel to keep going. And yeah. um, you know, there's still a lot to do, but you know, I think we're, we're moving extremely quickly. So it Great. doesn't feel like it's only been um, since January 1. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you said, the seeds were sown many years ago. That's right, yeah. So I guess investors and also potential hires and partners as well be interested in your previous life as well. Mm -hmm. So Pulse, you said it was 12 years yeah. growing that. You, did you found that company? I as did, well? yes. So to found a company, list it mm -hmm. in, what exchange were you listed on in um, London? You so you list on the name, yep. so which is like the alternative investment Correct. market. Yep. So a lot of tech companies exactly list on name. Yep. You lived in the fishbowl of being a public company. Did yes. twelve years in that. You learned a lot yes. in that process. And when you exited that, you were still chairman of the company. Or yeah, so, so uh, no, yeah, so for a while for a transitionary period. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fine. So it you were fully involved in the operations oh, and answerable absolutely. as chairman to the shareholders definitely. as well. So Yeah, we, we had a whole bunch of institutional investors and yeah. private investors, et cetera. So yeah, yeah very, very answerable to that. So what are the parallels between, this is the question I want to ask, and I guess also on the behalf of people looking at mm -hmm. what you're doing now with Blink, what are the parallels between that in terms of that journey and what you're doing at Blink? And also, what did you learn? Because you obviously want to do it better this time. Oh, definitely. You know, I think you, you, you know, going through multiple ventures and, and that was my second venture, by the way. Um, you know, I, I did something before that, that we eventually sold as well. And when we exited, um, so I've, I've gone through numerous rounds of fundraising. I've done an IPO of some trade sales. Um, and I've stepped on every single landmine there was, you know, I mean, you know, you, you, you make all the mistakes you, you can make. Um, you know, I'm, I'm now 44. I think I was speaking to one of the VCs this morning and he said, 
you know, you're at a perfect age. I think mathematically and statistically, Absolutely. you know, 43, 44 is, is when... 45, they say. 45, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, I'm, I'm about to peak. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that sort of age where it's sort of a sweet spot where yeah. the success uh, rate is, is much higher because you've been around the block. You've made the, most, made the mistakes. You've got the wide network, the domain expertise. And, um, you know, you, you sort of come back a bit much wiser, um, you know, a lot more. You know, I, I used to have hair before and now I look terrible in this video. But, um, <laughs> You're um, looking good. You're still smiling. <laughs> I think the key there is that there is that narrative about these 19-year-old kids leaving Stanford, going, setting up a billion-dollar app, right? Yeah, but amazing, that right? is very, very few and far between. Sure. The media loves it. Yet, I would speak. To, to every single investor that I know, they would more happily back somebody in their 40s, for example, yeah. who has wealth of experience. Sure. And importantly, they know what's broken. That's right. They're not necessarily trying to change the world. They know there's something wrong here and I want to fix that and yes. that may be worth billions, but That's I want right. to fix this first. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think to answer your question earlier on um, about what's the difference or what's the parallels, I think I'm much wiser now. I think the, the risk appetite is, is um, slightly different, but I think my vision is much bigger. Um, you know, I think the times have changed as well. I mean, fundraising right. runs are much bigger. The technology is much cheaper now, so you can scale much faster. What do you mean your vision's much bigger? Because IPOing and publicly listing a company is a big vision it, for a lot of it's people. It's a big vision, but, you know, I've got a bigger appetite now. Right. Um, so, you know, I, and, which how, is important. Can I ask, how much was Paul's market cap? Do you, you know, at the peak? Well, when we IPO'd, I think it was around the region of, I don't know, 40 million US or something. And right. then it obviously grew over the years. So, yeah. um, um, but, you know, I think now when I look at the fundraising rounds, so, yeah. you know, 40 million is what people start with. That's entry level. Yeah. Right. Different so, times. Different time. Yeah. You know, people yeah. are different talking market. about hundreds of millions of right. dollars of rounds. Um, so, you know, I think if you look at the trajectory of some of the comparables, um, you know, one of them recently, um, Zillingo did extremely well. I mean, they, they raised in total about 308 million yeah. in a matter of three or four years. Right. The last round was about 275 million. I mean, 10 years ago, you'd never even right. think or fathom that sort of fundraising. Well, and you had one, two or three rounds maybe. Now it's like every letter in the alphabet. Absolutely. Right? I, like I lose said. count, right? Everyone's on E, F, G rounds and it's amazing. So I think, um, you know, you need to have the appetite yeah. to be playing in the game today. It's, it's, it's very different. And, you know, thankfully I've got the appetite back and, um, you know, I've, I've, I think um, if we do it right, we'll, we'll be able to be on that list with some of the other guys. Yeah, I hope so. And you say you, you have an appetite to go bigger and bolder this time yeah, around. absolutely. What is your vision? Like, how big well, could look, this... Is I, this a completely Asian thing? Is it a global thing? Is it a Southeast Asian thing? I, I, I won't lie to you. I think we have a runaway of three to four years uh, before there's going to be a trade sale or consolidation opportunity right. because I think we're, we're going to lay the groundwork and the infrastructure. Yeah. And at the end of the day, do I want to do another IPO? Look, once is enough in my lifetime. Yeah. Uh, never say never, but you know, I think the reality is that um, you know, we'll be building the infrastructure and the groundwork for to sort of merge with a much bigger player. Right. And that's that's the precedent here in Southeast Asia as well. Isn't that's it? Right. I mean, you know, the Chinese it's easier for them simply to buy. Sure. Um, do you merge. want to buy versus build, right? So yeah. do you have a time? Uh, so for us it's, you know, by by the time we look at this three or four years ahead and if we can execute at scale to to what we want to try and do and, and deliver on those promises. We're three or four years ahead of everyone else. Yeah. So so that's the uh, key. I mean, it's a, it's a race against time right now. Okay. Clock sticking. Let's yes. have a look at where you are now. Mm -hmm. Back into the pitch deck. The last few slides. You talk about the raise and also the team as well. Yeah. Um, you talk about your seven steps as well, the product roadmap. Yeah, sure. Um, I want to skip forward to this part here. Okay. Where are 
we now yes. in terms of your fundraising road, roadmap? Have you just closed around? We, we did actually. Um, we, we closed around, um, I think it was two weeks ago. So two million, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, we, we raised yeah. two million. And, um, you know, since then, you know, surprisingly, this is another change of, of um, you know, the, the times we play in now. I've probably had about 20 um, approaches from from different people from private investors to VCs to some sovereign wealth funds come to me, which, yeah. you know, 10 years ago would never happen. I mean, we had to beg to to, to go through um, the kind of rounds that we had to do. Yeah. Um, and so that 2 million was your seed. That was our seed. Yeah. Um, were they known to you, your investors? Yes. So, so, so those were private investors, sort of family office that, yeah. that came, uh, you know, came on that round. Um, so, you know, I think that alone shows the appetite that we have. You know, it's, it's quite a big seed. Um, so, so yeah. you know, two million is around probably the Series A for, for a lot of the companies Absolutely. in this part of the world. Yeah. But it Especially also, Malaysia as well. So. Yeah, no, exactly. So I think it gives you the idea and the sense of our, our growth trajectory right. uh, expectation. Yeah. You know, our, 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 our Series A is going to be uh, much bigger. I think we've got... 25 to 30% of that already subscribed uh, yeah. in, the, in terms of um, interest. Um, so you're actively out there raising for serious? I mean, you're, you know, you're the boss, you're going to be raising nonstop now yeah, forever no, until yeah. you hit Z. No, absolutely. I mean, Graham, you know, we're, we're entrepreneurs, you're always raising. You know, it's like always be closing, we're always, <laughs> always raising, be raising, always be raising. You know, I think that's the thing. Yeah. And, and, so um, Series A is, pre-Series A is already happening now. Yeah, you? look, I, I think, you know, we, we thought, do we do a pre-Series A or a big Series A? Um, I think based on the reception we've we've been receiving, I think we'll go straight for a Series A, but a, right. a, a largish one. Um, and then most likely a B. So some of the B players have, have come to us already. Um, we're also priming them up for yeah. what we're expecting at B. So I think this process will go through pretty quickly. Um, mm. We're pretty confident of that. I mean, we're talking to guys from China to um, Europe to, to a lot of them in, in Southeast Asia. I mean, there's, there's about 200 big funds here themselves. Yeah. So um, when they see and understand what the scale of what we're trying to do, they love it, mm. right? But you need to understand it. You need to be in a space. Then you'll see this sort of vision that we have. And you know, at the end of the day, is whether we can deliver on those promises. That's the big yeah. thing. Yeah, right. Okay, well, that is the challenge. That's what you're here to do. Yeah. So... Um, a couple more slides. The uh, like you talk about here, you mm -hmm. you have started this process. I know yep. you, I don't know if this is relevant now that you may have actually closed this one, the five hundred k blocks. As yeah, well. that so that, that's sort of how we we, we did the uh, the seed. Um, okay, so that's done. Yeah, so um, you know the, the next round is you know I, I think to answer your question, while we're always raising, I think officially we haven't actually started the series A as yet. Right. Because we there's a certain there's a few milestones that we've put in place and, and you know we've just closed the two million two weeks ago. Uh, so we've got runaway, but there's certain milestones that we want to put in place before we officially go out and do the yeah. roadshow. Um but that said we've we're entertaining a lot of discussions right now because there's a lot of people that have come to us. Um, and we're also priming certain people up and, and giving them some sneak peeks. But I think we'll realistically officially go on the, the roadshow most likely early Q3. Okay. Which is probably July-ish right. period, yeah. Okay, so we'll start that process in about six months' time. Yeah, yeah. probably Yeah, probably are less you, than six months, probably about three, four months we'll yeah. start that process. I'm yeah. sure the conversations are starting now. Oh, they are, they are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm moving fast. Yeah. Exactly. And then lastly, I think this now is the biggest challenge for people like yourself, Bob, mm -hmm. um, more than the money, because you're quite competent at raising money. You tell a good story. You've got a fantastic background and a great product. Thank you. The next challenge, and this is a challenge you're facing, as anybody in your situation across Southeast Asia is talent so yep. finding people for your team so sure i know you've got like the um you have a slide here about yourself and i guess this resonates with people as well you are going to be hiring 
now on until eternity. Yes. And so, so I understand if because people watch this looking for teams that and founders with mm -hmm. great stories that they can be part of and work sure. with and be mentored by, right? And that's really important, actually. Yeah. Yeah, so I think what your question is how do we attract that sort of talent? Yeah, and what, what just to sort of, you know, like help them interface with you, what is what what is Blink about and what is Blink not about? What yeah. kind of people are you looking for? What are you not looking for? Sure. So, you know, I, I think if you go back to those three parts of our, our business, you know, we're, we're looking for people in that sort of deep tech who understand AR, who understand things from Python to Ruby on Rails to PHP to SQL to SAP, ERPs, WMSs. I mean, I could go on with that sort of stuff, but, and, and I'm quite a techie myself, as, as you can imagine. But, um, and, and look, I think there's a lot of great talent out there. I mean, despite what people say, it's very competitive, mm. but I think if you can attract them with the right story, that that come and work with you. I mean, there's a lot of people that actually want to take that risk and mm. and, and ride on 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 that bandwagon. But you know, as a founder and as an entrepreneur, you know, it's, it's one thing. I, I think I always say that if you want to move fast, move alone, right? But if you yeah. want to move far, then you have to move together, and, yeah. and that's a challenge because it's not it's not easy to get everyone on the same vision, the same pace, the same intensity, and um, you know. This is pretty intense stuff. Um, but I think the talent's out there. You know, I mean, we've got people from Indonesia to Malaysia to Singapore to, to wherever. There's a lot of talent out there, but there's, it's also a war on talent right now. Everyone wants mm. these guys, right? So, um, you know, attracting people so far hasn't been too bad. I mean, for the three parts of the business, the AR and the tech part, we've got some good people. Um, we're hiring people in the logistics part. We're, buying, we're hiring people in the buyers and, and merchandising part because there's lots of people from e-commerce, from fashion and stuff. So we actually have a lot of the talent in this region already. Mm. Um, and I think as we move to those, those next few rounds of, of fundraising, et cetera, we'll most likely also entertain some M&A opportunities. So we may buy and consolidate companies that we can actually buy talent as well. Because mm. I think if we want to have a geographic land grab into places like as far as Australia to... Hong Kong to Southeast to to Middle East or, or what have you. The only way that we can go in to those markets fast is to acquire. Yeah, in and bulk. Yeah, absolutely. In bulk, and, yeah. and that would be the way to to accelerate our growth. So I think it's part organic, part inorganic. You know, I think there, there's a lot of great talent out there. If we can show them a, a great story and lead them with passion, etc., I think they'll come to you. Yeah, you're you're early stage enough for somebody to hit that inflection point right that yeah. they can be part of that journey and and yeah that's right and and i think you know looking at my experience with pulse for example we, we attracted a lot of different people at different stages of mm. our growth mm. you know we attracted True. the guys that were you know hungry for startup they wanted the flexibility they wanted that sort of excitement adventure in the beginning as we got bigger we needed professional managers because those guys were too creative you know yep. they wanted you know they wanted to work at flexi hours and stuff we needed professional managers put structure in place then we became a public company. We needed the corporate governance or whatnot. And accountants. And, and, and yeah. accountants and, yeah. and lawyers and, and everything else. And the guys that came in at startup weren't attracted to that anymore. We became a different beast. Mm. So, you know, we have to also realize that we may attract different people at different times of our, our life cycle. And very few people will follow you throughout that journey because you're, you're growing so mm. fast and you're mm. changing the culture and, and whatnot. But best life. And, and you know, a lot of these guys have gone on to build their own businesses. Fortunately, some of them have actually come back to me from Pulse and are with me now with Blink, yeah. including my CFO. So fantastic story. Um, so I've got people, I've got trusted people that have worked for before and they're now with me in Blink. Yeah, you see that. I mean, you see that across a lot of success stories like with Lazada, for example, you know, or um, PayPal. Sure. They're, they're, or Yahoo, yeah. you know, these companies, they, they bring their teams with them. The mafia, yeah. Exactly, these mafias. Yes. 
We're very positive though. <laughs> Bob, it's been um, really, you know, um, inspirational listening to you and what you're, you. you're doing. And I love the fact that you, you know, you had success and then you've, like rather than get comfortable you've decided to challenge yourself again and that's sort of in your blood your dna yes, if you like and i think people get that well i, I believe it's a curse and a blessing it's and a curse, yes. we'll take it to our graves <laughs> right we just have and we're to, doing iron man both of us. well there you go and I, the, <laughs> on top of that exactly but that that is a good sort of like you know example of how that sort of plays out in day-to-day -day life sure, isn't it it's absolutely. like you, know, you love the challenge you love big challenges that people think we love a pain we love a pain <laughs> exactly we put ourselves through this stuff and That's right. okay so obviously people have listened to your story um potential investors along the road, mm -hmm. potential hires, people join the team. Yeah. Is there anybody else out there in that ecosystem that you want to sort of appeal to that may be interested in what you're doing? Look, you know, I think it's 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 been a great uh, discussion. Thanks for, for having me. Um, you know, I think uh, if we can at least uh, ha have reached um, certain people and, and impacted them in a positive way, other fellow entrepreneurs perhaps that we've inspired, you know, that would be great. Um, look, um, we're always looking for great investors, great talent and um you know, uh, hopefully would have given, imparted a bit of knowledge and, and examples and um, inspiration to our entrepreneurs, then, you know, our, our job is done. But I hope um, I'll be back here again. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. And I, I really get the feel that this journey is going to go somewhere. And, you know, I'm not just so. saying that because, you know, you've come here, but, you know, when I look at, I mean, I've sat through with hundreds of founders yeah, here sure. and you can see like that sort of history that somebody's had and then how they just go about the stuff that's off the CV. Right. You know, like this is what they, they're authentic. Yes. You know, a lot of people live the startup lifestyle, the, the entrepreneur lifestyle, but there actually isn't them in their sort of DNA. Sure. And you have identified the problem so well, you know, and it always starts with that problem. Mm -hmm. And you've identified the pain point of what an industry have. Right. And then you all on top of that, you know, the rising tide, that is so important because if you're ahead of the curve and you've got the middle classes, that digital population, you know, and the fact that the immediacy of now, right, yeah. or the tyranny of now is all now. coming yep. into play together, sure. it just makes for that sort of perfect storm of opportunity. Absolutely. So I really do hope this works out positively. Fingers crossed. And six months, 12 months, let's get you back on. Absolutely. Let's take a, a pulse of where you are. Sure. No pun intended, yes. but it'd be great <laughs> to see how the journey's going. Thanks, Ram. Bob Chuar, everybody, founder of Blink. Um, you heard it here. What's the best way to reach out to you? LinkedIn? Uh, LinkedIn, yeah. Happy to do that. Or send me an email at bob.chuar at blink.fashion. Excellent. You heard it here first. And this is hopefully a potential unicorn in the making. Well, let's hope. For. You sort and go back to I was this. I'm aiming for Decacorn myself. But Sorry, I'm I'll undersold with you unicorn. already. <laughs> <laughs> Time moves on. But hopefully people go back and watch this interview and say, well, that was you sort of in the first few months Absolutely. of your journey. That would be awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much, Bob. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.